I get worked on. He's so thick, he doesn't need to improve performance. Whoa. What could I? I don't, I don't want to close things. If I close the Amazon thing, I'll lose my place. Mm. <laughs> like you have an Amazon order open or something? No, just the Amazon Prime. I, I'm mm. so lazy. I don't want, I hate having to like switch back and forth, you know, figure out which one's Django's Amazon, which one's my Amazon, and find Amazon Prime because it always takes a few minutes to find Amazon Prime. Sorry, I'm. I'm confused. When you do you, you have a hard time remembering which one is Daddy's Amazon and which one's your Amazon? Not remembering, just my computer automatically wants to call up, bring up mine first, so I have to, you know, a couple times tell it not to, and then I just I think I need Django's. Daddy. And when you say <laughs> Django's, do you who do you who's do you mean? Yeah, I mean Daddy. Daddy. Say Daddy's. Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy. Daddy's Amazon Prime. Okay. All right. So like yeah. watch the dirty shows. Yeah, I just got the Daddy's Amazon Prime info, so I can finish <laughs> watching Black Monday, but. Just make sure you guys don't uh, pollute the space the space daddy account on that <laughs> Disney Plus thing that we have. The space daddy is there? Some Justin some... Justin named my re, like I gave Justin the access to the account and he renamed my account Space Daddy. Nice with Darth Vader. Nice <laughs> the dark space daddy. Sounds like a lot of tabs. Yeah, I have a bad habit of leaving tabs open for days because I want to remember to go back and refer to them. Mm. But some of them I need, like this one, like how to trans connect, how to get phone pictures off your iPhone onto your damn computer. <laughs> there, that closed. Call that daddy tabbing. Was that what that's called? <laughs> when you when you have a lot of tabs open. I think it's episode 236. It's the Pacific Northwest premier pop culture podcast where a bunch of buddies hang out and make auditory love with one another while talking about <laughs> pop culture things. Today, Theodore Lanslow, season two. I've got hot takes. I want to talk about the depth. Wait, no, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about comic books, particularly the comic books that have been coming in and out of our local comic shop, The Comics Place in Bellingham, Washington. Did I talk about the premier nature of our comic podcast? It's a premier podcast about pop culture i'm mick pop, jagger pop. i'm keith jones i'm charlie watts oh you're banging i am mike watts mike watts i'm tom watts i'm john Watts. i'm john bonham jr <laughs> i'm bottom tom man i'm john john bon slovy i'm that mid tom man just the mid area tom you can call me tom 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 i'm i'm bon schmalky you know, we've only got so many minutes in this podcast, and that's what we just spent that time doing. That's what we just did to the Qual listeners. That's quality content right there. That's and what they don't pay. That's what we don't charge for. That's why we don't charge for this podcast. Do you guys know what's special about 236? Six? What? Two it's right between six. 235 and 237. Yep. Uh, it's also a BC area code. Oh, is it really? Yep. Washington, BC? Uh, no, before Christ. It's a Washington really old before area Christ. code. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Wherever Tuesday we talk, get all the comic books to come into our shop and we sort them and count them and file them away. It's particularly the three of us and our wonderful new employee, Sean, who is Nard Dog. Nard Dog. And he's got abs of a Greek god, the, the stature of Michael and the shoulders of Atlas and um, the like hair the, of the Django. The ankles of a, an Adonis, if you will. Oh, if, from if you know. 
If you yeah, know, you know. Creed. Creed. Yeah. yeah. The Rocky yeah. movies and Creed. We've got a lot of books to talk about this week. I hope Will Elmer's all right. <laughs> Will, listen, we love you. I, I uh, We should send Will an email right now. We could be drafting an email to Will on our pocket. No, that doesn't make sense to new listeners. New listeners, welcome. You chose 236 to join. I'm Tom, Tom, and all about I'm John Bon all about. I've got something to talk to you guys about. Stun control. <laughs> Someone's got to talk about it. Someone's got to talk about gun control. I thought you said um, stun control. Stun control. Absolutely. Major Tom to stun control. <laughs> A lot of horrible references this week. We'll get out of that and start talking about comics soon. And the comics that we're going to talk about? The Trial of Magento, number mm. one. Nightwing, number 83. Passive Aggressive, number one. Um, didn't necessarily know why that title was the title of this outside of just sort of their distribution tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, Eat the Rich, mm-hmm. number one. Batman, Catwoman, number six. And Kang, number one. And then we're going to talk about The Defenders, number one, from last week because it was Free Comic Book Day and we weren't able to record a podcast because Free Comic Book Day was two days last week this year. And it killed us. It killed us. It killed us. It killed COVID us. Schmovid. Have but you, you know got what? the FCBD? Yeah, COVID schmovid. Did you get your free stray dogs? <laughs> Number one. <laughs> um, but uh, before we get into that, before we get into all that, we've got some serious stuff that we've got to talk about. Roman, perk yes. up your ears. Okay. He's, he's getting ready to talk maybe to we you. Sh- maybe we should turn off the recording, actually, because Roman, oh, we need to oh, talk to up you. Ears. Of, we need to take you down to the Starbucks and have a conversation about... Oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got rid of the Starbucks next to our store, so we have no way of firing people. Ah, <laughs> invulnerable. <laughs> I'm invulnerable. Invincible. Oh, I can let my inner Roman out. Um, ew, you can get you can go to jail for that in a lot of states. Actually, I'm never I'm never wearing pants in the comics place again. <laughs> but you 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 got into that camp years ago. You stopped. The wearing aprons pants. came that's, in and the sex dresses went on. That's only that's the reason you only work on days where we're closed. I'd love to get you in there on other days, but you're like, nope, just the Tuesday for me. Roman has been uh, gathering and filing away people's comic books for longer than I possibly know. Longer than he's been alive. Far before when I was working at the comic shop. So I love that you're just the spirit, the the ghostly spirit of the the comic shop who files the the books away. I'm I'm like Galactus in the previous universe. I was filing away comics. Galactus. (laughs) Oh no, I'm sorry. That was a silent moment. We got to try to not have this. Okay, everybody. Let's talk about the trial of Magento. Number one, this is by Leah Williams, which I was so happy to see because as I've become very public about addressing on this podcast, I love the work. Leah I, Williams, I love the work. I couldn't remember. I can't remember if that's like a running joke or, or are you really a Leah Williams fan? Did you read it? Yes. I didn't you read tell it me. and I know it was great because <laughs> Leah Williams. Williams did it. I love the work. Okay. I love, I love the, the work. work. Yeah. Uh, and the artist is Lucas Wernick. Colors, Edgar Delgado. Um, what is what more is there to say outside of I love the work? So I think that's it. I, I can tell you. Okay, I didn't read it. You didn't read it. How could you not read it? Well, because you know, Jeff's, Jeff's going to recap the X books for you. I thought it was a Blues Clues thing about Magenta the whole time, and I just I just skipped it. That's okay. 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 Well, this is um, kind of the follow up to Leah Williams' Love the Work run on X Factor, <laughs> and the kind of climactic moment that we had with that was. Uh, what looked like Magneto possibly killing Scarlet Witch at the Hellfire Gala or the after the Hellfire Gala. So the X-Factor crew is the crew that kind of does research to find out if people are missing or have been presumed dead before they are um, 
re re resurrected. Yes. Thank you. That word. I'm a little distracted because my internet's glitching out a little bit, but we'll get through it. Resurrected. Resurrected. Exactly. With 10 swords. Um, resurrect that internet. Oh, zing. Resurrect that connection. Yeah. Resurrection. Resurrect action. Um, so this is sort of the Krakoan culture deciding whether or not they're going to resurrect Scarlet Witch and also trying to determine who murdered Scarlet Witch, how she died, because she's technically a human and by Krakoan law, it is one of the three primary things you're not allowed to do is kill a human. Um, those were the beats. Roman, what do you think of this? And, and, and if I can just add, there's some of the important backstory for people that may not know. Um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were thought to be Magneto's, Magneto's children for a long time, since the 70s. But they're not actually. But that issue before this that Jeff referred to, um, Magneto basically told her, you are my daughter, even if you're not, you know, biologically. But, you know, they had a great touching reconciliation moment. But a lot of mutants don't like Scarlet Witch because she, you know, she was the no one that took away most of the majority of the mutants' powers with no more mutants a few years back. So a lot of them are, they're celebrating, glad she's dead. Um, so there's all that in the mix, too. I like the premise... Uh, I like most of this, except I felt like Ashton and I were talking about this. Magneto dot the voice of Magneto, especially the way he's been since this whole Hickman X-Men thing started. Uh, in this, he just, I don't know. I was like, you know, Magneto's like more multi-layered than this. And yeah, he should be pissed off because they're not going to resurrect his kid, basically. But So they, they, it, it's against the law <laughs> to kill a human, and it's also against the law to resurrect a human but they probably could if they wanted to right yeah they They, could and i don't think it's against the law because the quiet council votes on it mm -hmm. okay so they would be allowed to so internet my internet was a little sketchy there roman so i I didn't get a a second of what you had said but um but yeah i i like what was it that ashton had said about it well he texted me and said yeah i liked it but uh Magneto's Magneto doesn't quite sound like Magneto sounded lately. And I agreed. I, I think he's kind of one-dimensional in this issue. But you can ascribe to just that he's in his anger and grief that, you know, the nation he's a part of now that he's on the ruling council, they won't resurrect his daughter, his adopted daughter. Um, and they're and plus they're accusing him of killing her, which has got to be incredibly insulting. Right. Yeah. So I liked the story quite a bit because I liked kind of the bones of what they're doing with it. I like the idea of it, but I do think that it does seem kind of one dimensional on the surface. It's sort of like, it's like, okay, you're definitely giving us all this evidence to make it look like Magneto did this, but I think it's pretty clear he didn't do this. So that like on a mystery level seems a little like one dimensional. Um, But what I really liked about it is that to me, this whole thing is an attempt to retcon House of M because essentially Scarlet Witch is a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's popular and is going to be used and they Mm -hmm. need to be able to use. And what I thought was most interesting about this was the little bit of dialogue when they're like, well, could we even bring her back? Like, she's not a mutant. We haven't been backing up her consciousness. And Charles was like, well, we did a backup when she thought she was a mutant years and years and years ago. So I think ultimately they're going to bring her back by backing up that consciousness, but it'll be from before she did the House of M thing. So that way they can kind of have their cake and eat it too by having Scarlet Witch, but she won't be the person that 
quote unquote killed millions of mutants. Um, yes, I didn't know that they were backing people up for so long. Well, yeah, I, that, that was news to me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, and I don't know if that's just that like you know Cerebro had records of people or oh, okay. you know or something. I don't know if it's like the same as a back backup as much as it is like a you know a memory or something. But to me, I, I, I read that and I was like, oh, that's a really smart way like you know there's retcons like infinite crisis where it's like oh jason todd's back from the dead because superboy prime punched a hole through reality and reset like that's just like okay like i'm on board for that because crazy comic books but this is how you guys regret what you did yeah but this one is the like kind of the opposite which is like here's like a story and mechanical reason why we could be bringing scarlet witch back and have it be the version of the character that you know hasn't had several romances is probably still with vision more than recently mm-hmm. and also hasn't committed this atrocity. So if that's the way that they do things, I, th- that was what kind of impressed me the most about this. I thought that was a really intelligent way to retcon things and retcons are just kind of a thing that have to happen in comics nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, yeah, it is very, very clever if that's what they're doing. Plus they can still have her be plant the seeds for her being screwed up. Cause I, I don't think she's actually dead. Um, so, and, and they're, and once we get to that part of the book and say a little more about that, oh, I feel, feel free or yeah, take, take it away. Oh, <laughs> I do. I, the stuff I really loved in this was um, like the scene between Quicksilver and uh, North star. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that the two Marvel's two top speedsters. And it's like, Oh, this is really cool. I like the investigate the tension between X factor and X force. No, is it X force? Yeah. Yeah. X-Force the ones that were like, yeah. Doing the security stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, the mystery, cause throughout this you're thinking, well, which mutants control can control metal because that's one of the clues is Scarlet, which was the way they figure out how she died and everything is cool and one of the clues is that she was bound with her hands behind her back by by metal that was shaped into and binding bindings one thing i didn't appreciate the artist on the same page as one of the characters is talking about oh eye boy is talking about how her gloves are torn and there's blood everywhere but the picture at the top of the page is her laying there and her gloves aren't torn. And, and I was like, well, wait a minute. How that seemed a little inconsistent. Yeah. I, but I do just on the topic of Leah Williams and love in the work. Um, mm. I, I think that she does a great job of combining these characters powers to be a team that is solving these mis- you know, like the way that what iBoy was doing or, uh, I just, yeah. I, I like that crew. I think they work together really well in a, in a way that it makes sense for them to be kind of the newest incarnation of that Peter David X Factor idea. Yeah, that was really cool. I like, for instance, I had, because I'm not reading uh, X Factor, no idea the iBoy has all these cool um, sight power. I was a little surprised with the Quiet Council, just how many of them were so kind of insensitive to Magneto because they're all just like, yeah, yeah, you know, she's dead, better off that way. <laughs> we're all better off with her gone. Yeah, it, and to yours and Ashton's point, I do totally agree. Like it, it definitely for the sake of this story and Magneto needing to be morally ambiguous, it makes him a bit more one dimensional as kind of like a quote unquote bad guy in this, which is if we've been doing this Krakoan experiment for a while and he's a governmental figure, like I think there would be more respect for him. And I think he would also be a more balanced, like he wouldn't do this thing where he starts to crush Cerebro around Xavier's head and he takes the mask off and like he's bleeding and shit. Like that's a pretty, um, pretty violent act in the middle of a governmental meeting. Yeah. I, I love the fact that also McNeil's in his, I mean, I guess maybe you could say it's because he's grieving, but in this issue, he's, he's not in his white costume. He's in his all black costume. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be a rough day. I'm going to have to wear my black <laughs> outfit or maybe yeah. it's, his, maybe he's mourning the loss of his daughter. So he's wearing black. 
Yeah, yeah. And I love the fact they brought in, you know, they didn't forget to mention, um, you know, Scarlet Witch's uh, one of his sons mm-hmm. who's a speedster and is there on Krakoa. And the other son is off in space because he's Guardian stuff. Know, yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy sword. Well, before we do scores, Roman, what was your, you had said when we get to later in the book, you were going to talk about maybe not thinking she's actually dead or if you have any theories about that. I have a theory. Oh, and I did love seeing Dakin and both Wolverines all mm-hmm. fighting together. Um, and I love, I love the, just like the one little bit of dialogue of uh, Wolverine kind of coaxing Dakin along in his, <laughs> just like a, being a little bit of a father, which is yeah. Cool. Yeah, he even says, what are you missing, son? Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Wolverine calls me son, wow. Oh, and w- w- my favorite scene in the issue, I think, was when they go to, uh, when Quicksilver goes to the bar, which is ran by uh, right. Fred Dukes, used to be the blob, and he sits down there, and it's with the Toad. original Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. That oh, I didn't realize it was the whole Brotherhood, that makes sense. Yeah, it's the whole reason that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were brought to America to join the Brotherhood and so these are all Wanda's old teammates and her brother. Interesting. Yeah. That was Yeah, well my my theory is that uh because he's done it before, that Onslaught is actually behind this or he's absorbed various mutants himself. What's happening here again? The internet was being unstable. I'm sorry, but you're saying the onslaught because he can absorb people's powers. We're doing it is behind well, it. He, well, he would actually absorb like their psyches or whatever you want to call it. Okay. So I'm, I'm guessing this, maybe this is going to tie in with the uh, way of X and that whole onslaught thing. And I'm f- hoping fingers crossed that the way of X stuff and onslaught within it is going to be more of a larger story within Krakoa. Cause he's such a large scale villain. I hope that it's yeah. That's thing. Yeah. that's not isolated just to like a psychic entity within way of X, but uh, way of X this week was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah it was. And yeah, my, I'm still kind of hoping that ultimately it's revealed that Krakoa and now onslaught are kind of working together to decimate the mutant. I love it. So then Rome, what was your score for this book? My score was a nine. I'm going to go nine as well. I really liked it. And Django, I didn't realize going into this, you hadn't read it. So I'm sorry. I don't, I usually like to open on a book that we've all read. I apologize. Oh, it's it's nice. I finished my soup. Oh, that soup looked good. Broccoli. I I, I muted and I souped. And muted. Muted to super Toscano. Muted to super Toscano. Anyway, there's nothing. That's my middle name. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, hey. <clears throat> let's let's take a trip out of the Marvel world and go over to our friend Nightwing, Dick Grayson, the land of DC, and let's watch them ultimately do the thing that everyone always criticizes Batman for not doing. I didn't Old. read it, so I don't know what it is. You're lying. You read I'm not Nightwing. Lying. I haven't read you didn't read Nightwing? No. Oh shit. Oh well, let's no. wait to talk about that then. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do it. I, I'm I, gonna I I'm gonna I'm gonna Pause. I'm going to burp and fart a lot because this soup is in me now. <laughs> okay. I'm I sorry, Django. This I is... didn't read it either. Are you serious? No, you're kidding. I read it. I read okay. It. <laughs> like, this is, I was just kidding. Like, this is like my favorite book coming out. So, like, I've just assumed that everyone in the world is reading it. Oh, I think yeah, I dropped you, you... off when we sold out. Yeah. We sold out on an issue. And, and you know, I hate Dick Grayson. Okay. There's a lot of stuff coming <laughs> at me from a lot of angles. He hates part Dick of Grayson. Me, he loves part of Dick me Dick. still thinks that Django has read this and is just toying with me. <laughs> like a <laughs> cat and a mouse. Oh, I've not read it. Okay. Well, Django, I'm going to spoil it for you and I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, there's. I mean, the, I can't. Well, so, okay, so there. I mean, the, okay. the big spoiler. The big spoiler was last issue. The sister Zuko's yeah. Zuko's daughter, which I sister. only know because I read that issue while you guys were talking about it last. Okay. Time. Well, uh, in this issue, 
the conceit of the story is that Alfred died and left Dick Grayson a, a huge fortune. And he's been kind of figuring out what he wants to do with it. And we don't know exactly what his plan is, but we start to get an inkling of it as he goes to just talk to multiple people about it. Like he goes to talk to the Teen Titans. He goes to talk to a hospital. He goes to talk to Lucius Fox. And then there's a wonderful Tom Taylor two-page spread of Nightwing talking to Superman. Uh, or actually three pages. And it's just amazing. But, you know... Superman's like, well, it's quite an idea. And he's like, I'm worried it's too small. And he's like, it's not small, it's focused. But ultimately what he goes on to do with this issue is uh, he's using that fortune to just give it entirely back to the city. And he's like, but first, like, you know, like my immediate thing is that like, we're going to get all these homeless people off the street. And they're like, well, isn't there bigger priorities? He's like, not really. It's about to get really cold. So it's that thing. All the people that are like, I have a hot take about Batman. Why doesn't right. he use his money to make the world better instead of investing it all into his technology? It's like, well, it's because it's a comic book from the, you know, yeah, the early 19th century, 20th century. <clears throat> um, so I, it's not like a brand new crazy idea that they're bringing to the table, but I, I like that they're they're doing it. And I just the way that Dick Grayson weaves through the superhero world and bounces ideas off of people and gets feedback and That's lets cool. them, you know, we kind of see the way that the world views him through their conversations. I just it's it's absolutely the best book coming out. Tom Taylor uh, Redondo on art. Is he uh, is he doing it for Bloodhaven or for Gotham? Bloodhaven. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And the scene with the final person Dick talks to is Superman. And it's just such a great three, three, four pages, um, including a great dialogue. But even at the end where Superman asked Dick, you know, on top of everything else Dick is doing, if he can kind of like be a friend to his son, who's now take kind of taking his role as Superman, because Superman's going to go off into space or something. And it's just and it, it just shows the respect everyone has. I mean, Superman wants Nightwing to like, you know, be friends with my kid. Look out for him. Just 20 was, bucks. Go be friends with my kids. Because you're the best of us. Yeah, Nightwing this week and Batman and Catwoman both had moments of profound honesty and respect go Dick Grayson's way. And mm-hmm. it's basically Superman's, or sorry, Batman's closest people being the voice of Batman for Dick Grayson. Like, yeah. so, like hey, like, you know, Superman says some of the sick, the, the, the effect of, um, it would mean a lot. Oh, so that's a different, that's a different line. But he, he just basically says how much Batman respects you. There's this great thing. He's like, you should call, you know, you should call is him and talk to him about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't like talking on the phone. He's like, yeah, but he, you want to talk to you about this. And, and then later on the issue, like Dick gives the speech and then he gets a phone call from Bruce. And it's just like <laughs> the most heartwarming. Like he says, uh, he's like, Hey, you don't call that often. He's like, yeah, and no, I'm sorry. He just says, Dick, you honored him today. Thank you. Like for Alfred. It's just, it's, it's the best of Tom Taylor in a character that I've always wanted to be reading a monthly book of. Um, I just, I I can't sing the praises of it enough, but I just did for several minutes. So Roman, whatever you've got left, please take it away. It's just another fantastic issue that this one, even a little bit more than, than previous issues. And, uh, and I don't know if this is significant. I mean, there's Barbara Gordon. She lays a big kiss on Dick this issue. And I don't know if that's like the, first time in the revised continuity because I, I was like what's the big deal here i mean they used to date when they were in their late teens but i guess that's no longer continuity or something like that. that was in the I think, 70s i think they talked about it in an earlier issue about how their relationship is in kind of a weird spot yeah my because without having read the entire history you know for me I, i'm just like okay well i know they were together and i know that they broke up because it didn't work out but i know that they both kind of always still had feelings for each other so for me it's kind of like ross and rachel circa 
you know, season four or five after they're getting back to, you know, there's like a kind of episode 127 or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. 127. The one where Ross and Rachel got back together like Nightwing and Dick. Um, No, wait, sorry. Nightwing and Babs. Babs and Dick. Uh, Yeah, I for me, perfect 10. Perfect 10. I it's my favorite book coming out right now. There's things like Batman and Catwoman and other great books coming out right now that are, you know, arguably tens Rorschach. But uh, but Tom, the, the other Tom's right in that. Yeah, that's that's the other Tom's field. But this <laughs> is, you know, the perfect blend of character work, deference for the continuity, uh, love for the characters, heartwarming stuff and also just coolness It's and funny. It's and the art. Uh, Bruno Redondo. Absolutely incredible. Just tens, 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 tens. Yep. Straight up ten. Straight up. All right, Django. I'm sorry, buddy. Straight up. What? I'm just, I got another book you didn't read. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, passive Way aggressive. Hero trade. <laughs> passive aggressive. Matt Kent, David Laugham. Tell me about this one, my guy. The world's Gosh. worst cover on a comic book. <clears throat> yeah. So this is this is a Bad Idea comic from our friends at Bad Idea. Bad Idea cover too. Um, it's, it's black and white. It feels quite a bit like uh, an issue of Stray Bullets to me, where it's just a uh, dude in Russia pulling a scam on the like the, the Russian misinformation computer network that he works for. And so he pulls a scam and tries to escape with this woman and, and things go bad. Uh, very, very much like any given uh, issue of uh, Stray Bullets, which is also a David Lapham story. Um, although Matt Kent wrote this one, so he's, he's playing to David Lapham's strengths, I think. Um, it's black and white, except for every once in a while, there's like text text notifications that are in blue or green. Um, and then the, there's a backup by Matt Kent with Klaus Janssen on art. And there's something I really enjoy about Klaus Janssen's art, even though it's I don't think that it's objectively super good in a lot of panels those are some of my favorite panels i think especially in black and white it's i don't think i've seen much of his work in black and white yeah it's he's just got a style that is the direction that i wish uh john romita jr had gone Mm. uh, instead of leaning into his his weird body shapes sausages yeah sausage sausage uh but here's here's the trick jeff okay all right everybody on one side of the country got the passive version of passive aggressive by bad idea everybody on the other side of the country got the aggressive version they have the same cover they have the same barcode but the inside cover says aggressive rather than passive and all of the inner pages are different is it an entirely different story different story in the same world so i think in this one there's like the the antagonist who's spying on these guys spying on the dude and and who kills everybody in in his old office i think that the other story follows that guy figuring out what this dude's doing and and tracking him down to moscow so yeah this guy works for some russian hacking crew and what he does is he makes a code to steal a bunch of money from a rich guy but then it turns out the richest guy in the world is actually basically batman and he's a vigilante Mm -hmm. but he's like a violent vigilante um so yeah so you're thinking maybe the other one like is this whole story from the perspective of that vigilante as he realizes he's getting hacked by all this stuff and goes to to take this dude out i don't know for sure but uh yeah so more shenanigans from bad idea what a pretty a weird, good comic. Yeah, I was a little bit befuddled by the black and white of it. I was like, why in today's world? Like, I love black and white comics. Like, mm-hmm. I love Terry Moore, especially. Um, I don't 
love to read Stray Bullets because it's so dirgy, but it is yeah. undeniably great. Um, Dude. So I was like, why? But then I was like, oh, I guess it makes sense. Like Lapham is doing the art and he writes and draws Stray Bullets. So it is just sort of like playing to his strengths. But it does look, it just looks gorgeous. Like yeah. all of the line work is great um, and stark and it looks great on this like relatively high paper quality, paper mm-hmm. stock quality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's dense. Like he's a he's a really great artist. Yeah. And this isn't the first bad idea book that's black and white. The lot was black and white. This right. week from Image, Second Second Chances was also black and white. So I, I don't quite understand, other than saving money on uh, on a colorist, why so many books would be black and white. Because they're all printing in full color, faking black and white. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a little confusing to me. I wonder if it's just sort of like a hearkening back to a different era of comics. You know, like we have a lot of creators that are maybe just sort of referencing a different time of comics. It is the worst cover. And like the gun bullet line like divides the face of this vigilante. So it looks like he's wearing a gas mask, but maybe it's just a superhero mask and the Mm -hmm. eyes are like reptilian. It's just the worst cover imaginable. You know, I think, I don't know. I kind of think that that, I like the logo because is that an homage to one of the old um, pulp? Pulps? It sure could be, yeah. I mean, and, the, the way the, the way the logo was lettered, it kind of looks like Astounding Tales or something. Yeah, the logo is not as bad as just like you know Django. You've got some rules about where you don't create like lines within panel divisions or something like there's. Well, yeah, you don't you don't have the action going off the page, and this is going the like you want somebody to open the bottom right hand corner. And the, all the action is going to the middle left-hand corner. And the line of the bullet like divides the face behind it, right where mm-hmm. there would be an important line that defines what the mask is. So it you know obfuscates what this mask even is. It looks like there's a hammer coming out of someone's face. Yeah. Is what I thought for a while. That's what his mask looks like in the issue, though, too. Yeah. It's just not a recognizable enough thing to really land on a cover. Like if, like if that was if it was Sandman, it'd be one thing. But it's this guy that nobody's ever heard of. Right. It's a, especially like with the art when they the bad stuff's happening in the the, the firm or whatnot. Like mm-hmm. just there's some really gorgeous art in there. I don't I finished it and I didn't really know at all what they were trying to say or what the point was. Maybe like, we'll find out if we can read a copy of the aggressive. Right. And I think that that's really a bummer. But but yeah. it's an interesting like, OK, I really do feel like I only got half the story with really not much of an opportunity to get the other half of the story. Mm-hmm. But yeah, imagine imagine having enough money to just monkey around with the hearts of the comic book people like these guys can do lately. Yeah. Yeah. No respect. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I don't know yet, yeah, but it, it is sort of stray bulletsy like, hey, shitty guy wakes up on a beach, flashes back to why he's there. Oh, it's kind of a bummer. Suitcase full of money and a dead dame. Yeah. What else do you want? Colors. <laughs> So that's why it's black and white. It's a film. It's a noir. Yeah, pretty much. Follows a lot of the rules. Yeah. I don't know that the guy gets his nose broken enough times, but close enough. <laughs> no Venetian blinds, except for in the backup story. Um, what do you give it, Django? Um, I would give it. I think I'd give it a seven and a half. Uh, I've got plenty of baggage around these guys. <laughs> it might be a. It might be a perfect ten if I wasn't uh, always a little low level angry at something that they're doing, but. Uh, I think it's good. I think it's worth the price of entry, um, which is, by the way, seven ninety nine, not five ninety nine, like it's printed on the cover because they misprinted it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of baggage, what do you give it? I'm gonna go six point five. I I didn't care for the story much at all, and but you're really I, mad about the price thing. I'm not. I like, <laughs> but I'd like the art throughout the entire book. But yeah. like, I 
it doesn't make sense to me to have told the story this way unless I can easily access the other half of this story. But as it yeah. stands, it feels like I really got half of a story. Um, yeah. But I do really like the art in it. And I kind of like how terrible the guy's costume design is. It's a bad cover, but I like the costume design of the vigilante because it's yeah. it's uh it's kind of pulpy and like OG Sandman, not Neil Gaiman Sandman, but like, you know, yeah. like the gas mask and everything. So I, I kind of like it. Roman, your pull on it being kind of pulpy is is probably right on the money. It's like a weird combination of pulp and noir shit, which I guess go hand in hand. But anywho, um, they go they go gun and back, which is how they say hand in hand in, in a crime noir world. Gun Wait. and back. What? Sorry, oh, bro. I just realized that that one cover you showed, Jeff, the one that's uh, got the weird gunshot line dividing the panel so badly or the cover so badly. I'm going to have to do some research because I, I, now I'm picturing maybe it's an homage. There was a police comics, Golden Age police comics cover by Jack Cole with Plastic Man where Plastic Man stretching his arm up to like the upper, I think the upper left corner and there's a big face of a villain or somebody behind him. It might be an homage to that. Um, that's one of those, re- like, there's a million reasons why just being around you a little bit makes my day better. <laughs> like every time it happens and I truly couldn't get enough of it. But those are those great moments of like, yeah, Roman's a walking encyclopedia of way more things than Django and I are. Um, well, no, you're a much denser shot. encyclopedia about a thing that Django and I spend our lives <laughs> doing. Um, Hey, Django, you finished eating your soup. I did. I also finished a beer. How do you feel about eating the rich? Eating the rich. Did you read this? I did. Yeah, Eat the Rich. You know, this on just a level of congratulations for Django and I and a huge thank you to Roman. But Django and I got out of working on a Tuesday at a reasonable hour this week. So I read most of my sack on Tuesday this week, which hasn't happened in like a year and a half. Um, So yeah, I I read this book on Tuesday night. Um, It was in my big stack of books. So uh, yeah, what did you guys think of it? Sarah Gailey and P.S. Pius Bach and Roman Titov. Not the Roman on this show, but a different Roman. I do have to say the coloring in this issue, straight up 10. The coloring? Um, Oh yeah, it was- By Roman, yeah. Okay, but the coloring also, (laughs) outside of that joke, there is a weird, like, kind of 80s after-party color palette to this whole thing. Like, it's like fall. It's like fall at night for a lot of this book. So I do think the coloring is good outside of your joke. But maybe if you hadn't started that, maybe I wouldn't actually like the colors. Maybe I just convinced myself that because I wanted to agree with you. I'm just really really happy you guys got to do so much reading. I even saw today on Facebook that Django read a whole hardcover graphic novel Ugh, i want to read of his comics yeah i read the ed gein book i want to read it pretty great nipple belts and all yep roman yep, even man. sorry Django even wore his nipple belt while he was reading it <laughs> he doesn't get that out that often because it gets smaller every yeah, as it gets drier yeah, you know, when, when yeah. else would you wear it exactly if not then when well you still manage to pull it out every tuesday it is jeff look tuesday at my belt, belt. <laughs> it's my tuesday bail <laughs> Uh, so this follows a couple going to meet the meet the young shitty dudes like tennis playing rich baby dude uh, and his parents and it they they talk shitty, about how shitty rich shitty, tennis rich baby dude this, tennis this is, this tennis players on, this is Django on soup and beer yeah <laughs> don't ever let your kids do soup kids moms and dads broccoli. Um, <laughs> 
And he's worried about going there because he hasn't hasn't hung out with his family sober, uh, like he's been out of town. So he goes there, and it's just kind of uh, his his girlfriend isn't from these rich families, so she's c- trying to acclimate to you know the 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 way that they treat her and the help. And it's really obvious to the rich people that she doesn't belong. Just you know because she wants to carry her own bag when they show up and she doesn't hand it over to the surf, you know, just not being a shitty person. She stands out, not one of them. And uh, by the end, I don't, I don't know that we think these people are vampires, but they're definitely cannibals, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're vampires or just rich, like rich cannibals. Yeah. Like when, when the help retires, they, they murder them, right? Yeah. They eat them. Yeah. Or when different, there's some sort of, at some point Jughead does a big roast and everybody he roasts has to leave the room. And it seems like all those people get taken out to be eat something. So there's some sort of like culling of a rich group that they're doing to like eat one another or something. Yeah. That was like, that was my favorite thing in the book when they're the jug, jughead is, is doing that roast and every one of the rich people that he mentions by name they all leave right after their name is mentioned so they're all and we found out later they're meeting on the beach to uh, kill and eat the the servant that's retiring that they're supposed to be doing this roast in honor mm-hmm. oh so okay was, okay i, I thought, thought that was a cool way of, of coding that to them to go down to the beach night i didn't know if they were eating the servant this was in tribute to or if all the people that were kind of roasted were being removed because they were going to eat but maybe they were the ones who had to hunt down or you know do the actual killing i don't know i i liked it quite a bit i think that what was so well done about it was that like it does have a huge overlap with get out like it feels Mm -hmm. like the movie get out like someone's like, oh, I kind of want to do, except not about race, but about economic divide or something. But that, you know, it's like they walked out of that movie with this. But uh, like the insidious tone throughout the entire thing, like the tension as it, as you don't know what's going wrong, but you know, based on the cover of this book and what it is that you're just like, bad things are going to be happening and you're kind of wait, it's not super obvious what it is. And so I, yeah. I really like the way that was kind of doled out. But what I'll say is just like from a, if this is sort of like a, yeah, fuck the 1% type of thing, which I'm very into, the main protagonist is not very likable because she's dating this guy who is like not likable at all. So it's like, why don't you have any standards? And then she's also like, just so like, well, I've always wanted to be, I've my whole life, I've wanted to do this. I've wanted to be with this group of people. Like it's, it's a very like, okay, well, so you're almost as bad as them that you're like willing to kind of sacrifice your morals to get in with this group. So do, do we feel good if she eats people by the end? I guess that's, that's a good point. I, if I was assuming that they wanted me to be sympathetic to her, but maybe it's the transformation of her to become one of these cannibals, which would be, right. I think a more complex story than this, like get in, get on board with this is the protagonist, but also she's, she wasn't likable to me. No one in the book was likable, which is fine because most of them were bad guys, but if she was supposed to be likable, um, I didn't find her that way. Yeah, I don't know that I liked her, but I did. I did put myself in her shoes and felt kind of the the shame and claustrophobia that goes along with all those those people being butts. Yeah, I do for sure. I I, I did put myself in her shoes, but I was like, Plus but her I wouldn't. dress is awesome. And her dress is awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I was I, super impressed. I I felt sympathetic toward her because I felt like she was, you know, she was had worked her life to this point to try and join that world because that's what she was told to do not necessarily her heart's in it but yeah i i so I, felt, I felt sympathetic toward her and i liked the uh oh the one um the nanny she meets on the beach mm-hmm. with the baby too. i like the nanny um though i didn't i wasn't a big fan of the art the coloring however is excellent. oh god roman <laughs> titov killed it pious yeah, bach however yeah 
<laughs> um, but I'm curious to see where it goes. I'll keep reading. You know, the art in it reminds me of Leandro Fernandez, the person who did the art in the discipline and American Carnage. If you can think about that, like this color palette and also these lines. Yeah. Not that it matters at all, but that is, as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, yeah, what does it kind of remind me of? And it does remind me of that person's art. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, I was surprised that uh, her boyfriend, when they're driving up there, that he does the one sympathetic moment with him. I was like, oh. Well, he's actually like having an anxiety attack. Right. He hasn't been around his friends and family since he's been sober. So it's like, oh, he has a little bit of self-awareness there, but but that faded later. Yeah. I and I don't think that every book that is good needs to be something you can identify with the characters right. on. So I, I I liked the book a lot. I just was sort of like, yeah, I I, I dislike all of you people. But th- I think what it did so well was ratchet up the tension throughout it more so than most books and horror books that I've read. Like it was it was yeah. one of the most tense books I've ever read. So Sarah Gailey, I've never read anything of yours, um, not to be confused with Sarah Grayley, who I adore, but uh, it really is. I liked it a lot. It feels like it's begging to be made into a movie. Yeah, I would watch. That. Yeah. Well, what do you the give scene it, on the beach, like with the the servant and everything, seemed so like I could see it. Even the servant's dialogue seemed like it needed to be delivered by a human voice because it was so um, felt so. What do I give it? I would give it. Um, I'm gonna go eight point five. I liked it a lot. I could even see an argument for a nine. But I, I'll say I didn't love the art, but I did like it, actually. And I like the color palette, the colors. Oh, my God, the colors. Oh, Roman God. Is a yeah, Roman, it, Roman yeah. is. Well, you know, when you, when you get a book that's colored by Roman Titov, yeah. you know, it's going to <laughs> you know be what you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's all about the color work. I'm going to also I, give it an eight and a half. I, one thing I do love early on in it when we were sort of getting the overview of like, yeah, I've never been in a house this big. It's like they even have a room. They have like two separate dining rooms. <laughs> they have a room for all the books or the things that they're giving away people. There's like, this is where Astra comes from. And there's, it shows the chefs like cutting up a piece of meat, but it's clearly like a body trying to escape. Right. Which is right. just a great, like, you don't know quite at that point that they're like the bad guys or whatever, <laughs> but it's just a great, like, oh, that's a human body trying to crawl away from something. That was a, yeah. Many moments like that were very forward. So 8.5 from Roman, what was your score? Uh, I give it a seven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Even not, with the colors? Even with, well, the colors, you know, 10. Yeah, but, the balance. But the rest is seven. Okay. I even though that. I do like the thing on the beach because it's, it. I don't know if it was intended this way, but I took it as an homage to the scene on the beach in uh, The Howling. Oh, I've never seen The Howling. Oh, uh, well, there's a whole thing, California. I don't remember if they're rich. They might be rich people, but uh, uh, D. Wallace Stone, I think, is the star. She goes that she goes down to the psychologist. Big party on the beach, fancy house. There's a big thing on the beach. Um, there's some weird stuff kind of happening off further down the beach. Devils. Devils. Vervolves. Oh, vervolves! This boy's Ooh. naked. Vervolves. Yes. This boy yes. naked. Boy nude become wolf. <laughs> That's why I keep my clothes on. <laughs> Speaking of clothes on, Batman Catwoman number six. Ooh, Jango, you, you must suggested have read a different one than I did. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the highlight of this issue for me is that gorgeous shot of an elderly, elderly Selena Kyle in her young Catwoman outfit, just a full page spread. We talked about this artist and like heroes in crisis, and it was sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're really making a point with how sexual they're being about things. And this is the you get to that page and you're like, no, dude just draws everybody sexy, even if it's an 80 year old woman in a leotard like that's the sexiest 80 year old woman in a leotard i've ever read yeah yeah and there was a nice uh 
a nice little dig maybe at Jimmy TIV that that Will pointed out. Oh, we I didn't talking about that. how all the uh, all the like Gotham bad guys are just uh, just a bunch of puns, like fifty oh. years of puns. Um, <laughs> I like and that. They, they talk about all these dumb names that people have. Can I, you imagine if there's beef from Tom King towards Jimmy TIV because he got kicked uh, off of Batman for Jimmy TIV's garbage run? I hope it's not a contest of wits. No, because that's like a child versus an like an academic. You know, it's like. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this this is great. It does for me. It suffered a little bit from what this whole series has suffered from, which is not really clearly delineating the timeline that we're reading in any given moment. Like I, I felt like I was always trying to figure it out. Uh, but the each of the stories that's happening in here, I, I guess there's three of them. Each one is great. I loved Joker and Selena decorating the Christmas tree and Joker's dressed in Bruce's clothes at some point. Like he, he puts on Bruce's sweater and pretends to be a, a rich snob, which is pretty hilarious. I, and I do like that it seems like they're trying to make it seem like maybe the Joker and Selena have had a relationship. Uh-huh. And I don't think that that's what will, will have happened. I don't think that is true. But I love this gross beat. Like, it's just like, you know, for anybody in a relationship who learns like one of their current partner's exes is somebody they despise. Like, yeah. you know, I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to that. So it's a very human thing, but gross as well. Sorry, yeah. I derailed you, buddy. No, that was that was that's everything I had to say. I like I, I thought it was it's gorgeous. Um, and each of the stories is interesting. I'm a little lost on the um, phantasm part, mm -hmm. but I'll bet that just going back and rereading it would help me with that. Where are you at with this one, Roman? I'm really liking it, but it is interesting that the, uh, you know, I start, I started this issue and with the three timelines, which Tom King's doing in what, four of his books right now. And so <laughs> the man is like a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. So in reading this, I was in the beginning, I was like, I started spiraling a little bit and thinking, okay, is the Selena and Joker flashback? Is that also set in the same time period flashback as like, say, Alana and Adam Strange over in that book? And, and it's, it's, oh, my mind started swimming, but I'm liking it. I, I, I like the joke too about that. But except, you know, um, Tom King, his, his, even in making fun of the pun names and everything, he still came up with, you know, something better than Clown Hunter. I mean, he's got, <laughs> He mentions four face, which is two faces twins who both have scarred faces. Yeah. And they're called four face. I was like, oh my God, that's great. At least it's referential to the history and not just punchline. Yeah. 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 And I like I like background stuff like the world's finest being on the neon sign behind Catwoman and uh her and Bruce's daughter, who's Hel Helena, I forget what her superhero is, but it's yeah. referring to them as like kind of the new world's finest. I really like the fractured timeline thing here. Um, Tom King has fallen into a, a comic book thing for me where I do lose my objectivity and I'm aware of that. But like mm -hmm. for Jonathan Hickman and Grant Morrison, you know, I allow myself to enjoy things more, assuming that at a different point down the line, it's going to make sense. So it sort right. of inflates my actual enjoyment of a thing. And I do need to be aware, especially like with Hickman leaving X-Men and stuff that like, I need to be like, okay, well, you know, the, the moment to moment objectivity isn't bad as well, but I am feeling like this is all going to fit together in a perfect way. I haven't had a super hard time discerning the timelines, but I did start this issue very unsure if I had missed an issue of this comic because, mm -hmm. um, 
there was like a week of comics that we didn't do a podcast and everything was crazy. And I just missed a week of comics. I was kind of worried that it was one of these, but I don't think it was. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought this one did do a, a good amount of like kind of clearing up some things, which is like the phantasm. Their motivation is to kill the Joker because back in issue number one, we find out that the Joker had killed her like, or thinks that the, or she thinks that the Joker killed her son. Like we find out about this young boy who was murdered and it's the son of that girl who is an old flame of Batman's. But um, so she wants the Joker. Catwoman's down to give her the Joker. Batman doesn't want anyone to have the Joker. All of that bookended by this idea that Selina ultimately kills the Joker in the future, but maybe also had a relationship with them early on. Um, all of that, I, I, I really like that weirdness. And I love the art because it's just like in that way that I love like Batman Hush, like Jim Lee art, like it's over the top. Mm -hmm. It's not Darwin Cook. It's not like Frank Quitely, but it is just like over the top. If you want super motherfucking heroes. Yeah. If you want people in tight costumes, fighting crime and having adventures and romance, like that's what that is. So I, I love it. It's one of my favorite books coming out. It's always near the top of my stack. Um, you know, Tom King's other collaborators on uh, Strange Adventures and Rorschach have very clear ways of delineating the, the time zones that we're reading about. Like Rorschach is one of the most complex, time has no meaning, this newest issue has all this stuff that like time is bleeding into and interacting with with the, the different timelines. And I wonder if Clay Mann just didn't like made, made the decision not to not to really clearly separate those things or if it's a Tumo Mori kind of choice too. Yeah, or if I that wonder. was a Tom King choice. Like it I, I just kind of wonder what the who's whose job is it to tell that part of the story in this particular I could also like I think this artist is a great artist at what they do, but it seems like a very specialized thing that they do. And I think that mm -hmm. sort of delineation is a little bit more nuanced thing, like Jorge Fornes mm -hmm. or you know, Evan Shaner. I mean, the Mitch Garrods Evan Shaner one is like because they have two distinctly different artists, but even right. like Mitch Garrods does a, a works to do some stuff like in Mr. Miracle to define things. So yeah, I, I, I part of me almost just sort of feels like this artist doesn't quite have that nuance, but they do this certain thing really well, which is like mm -hmm. gorgeous superhero stuff. So well, we're, it's going to switch in, a, in an issue or two. Oh, right. Yeah, there's have, a couple uh, issues. Sharp for three issues. Which I loved their art early on and some stuff, but their mm -hmm. art lately is not a thing I've liked. So we'll, I'm, I'm eager to see what, what it looks like. Yeah, I've liked them all. Uh, I would give this an eight and a half. Liked it. Liked it quite a bit. Want to keep reading it. I'm going to read the next issue. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to read the next issue. Yeah. Roman, what's your score on this puppy? Give it a nine. I'm going to give it a nine also. Nice. Not a ton new to say about it, but it's just one of my favorite books coming out right now. I just saw Roman Kappa Pen, which was also coincidentally his fraternity growing up in college. <laughs> Kappa Pen. Kappa Pen Delta Phi's. We don't say Delta anymore. I do. <laughs> he does. <laughs> um, well, I didn't know going into this, those first books were sort of front loaded as books Django hadn't read. And I, this is the one that I do know Django hasn't read. <laughs> Kangarang. I read it. Oh, you did? <laughs> I really? did. Whoa, oh, Meg, you, you even said on Tuesday, like, I'm not going to read this. And I was like, oh, you want to <laughs> read it. You're going to read it. I flipped through and I like I like the art enough to, to muscle through something I wasn't sure about. Okay, cool. cool. Well, then. Well, thanks, Django, for reading the Marvel Cosmic Gobbledygook book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anytime, so, guys, except every other time. <laughs> oh, time joke. I get you. You got it? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, then in that case, unpack your ass. Oh, fine. Me? So if, yeah. Yeah. Um, or Dr. Plug down there. I don't know. I think Dr. Plug should do it because this was actually this was actually the first book I read and I'm oh, nice. uh, Doc refreshing myself on it right now. Dr. Plug, what did you think about this one? Oh my gosh. Oh, oh. my God. Oh my God. 
Actually, I'm looking for my score because I don't remember what I. Oh, Black Betty. I think I, think I really liked it. Ha! That's I like. Um, I like the dinosaurs in it. I can't yeah. find my score, but I know I really liked it. Um, the art's very cool. I'm not familiar with this artist, Carlos Magno. What a cool name! Yeah. Um, it's it's. I don't know if you would call this like Kang Year One, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess. So I'll jump in. It, it, it seems to me like Kang is a character that I love. I think uh-huh. one of the all time best um, every one of <laughs> one of the all time great characters in the history of comic. Books. I think he screams um, just what I love about comics, just ridiculous costumes. One of the best costumes of all time, in my mind. Just all um, stripe eyes is what I like to call him. He's got like. I think it depends on the writer because he can be kind of just like a rot serious person. But when he seems like a kind of disoriented person who's just one step removed from every situation they're in. That's one of the things I love about Kang. Um, Like unrelatable in certain aspects because he's just so removed from humanity at this point. But exactly like Roman said, I I think Kang is a, can be a confusing character, but I think that's kind of one of his appeals. But I do think that we need some type of a Kang year one and having this character have appeared in Loki. I think that's what the clear intent of this book is. And it's written by a writer pair, um, writers I had not heard of, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carlos Magno, like uh, Roman had said. Um, So yeah, we're following a young boy who is young Kang and he becomes Kang by having old Kang show up and take him on an adventure. He's a descendant of the Richards um, and Victor Von Doom. And it's young Kang outsmarting older Kang and stealing his armor, then kind of going and getting tied into the web that older Kang has tied. And it just kind of doing that mushroom trip esque. Everything is one thing. All things are happening simultaneously. Nothing is like Ouroboros snake is eating its tail. There's no beginning and end. Um, That was the human centipede. Yeah, sorry, it's both. That whole, that's human centipede. Um, <laughs> the cuttlefish. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I like it a lot. I would say the one thing I wish is I don't need old Kang to take his helmet off and show me his human face. I just want Kang to be a guy with a blue face and a helmet. Yeah, I kind of wish they hadn't done that. Cause, I mean, maybe it's been done before, but I don't remember ever seeing Kang's face. And I could see them doing it to try and... St- clear up to the writer the readers rather that this child is this guy grown up so he's a human as a kid and becomes this person but but yeah i I, i've never known what kang is i've never known really definitively what gender kang is that's just kind of the thing i love about kang is they're just this wiggly floaty worm going through the thing is this the first time that we've been told that Kang is a descendant of dr doom and and the richards no no okay no in fact yeah it's Part of the charming confusion about Kang, because the person that becomes Kang is is Nathan Richards, which is also, confusingly enough, the name of Reed Richards' father. (laughs) But it's also the name of this descendant of Reed's, who also I forget how or why, but it's also a descendant of Dr. Doom's also somehow. Okay. Um, I bet Valeria hooks up with the Doom at some point. Ew. Doom was kind of like the father figure to her for a little while. Exactly. I bet his son Um, or something, she... Yeah, and and you're and Jeff. Yeah, you're right. It's it's fun about Kang because he's also aspects of Kang are Immortus and the Pharaoh Ramatut and the Scarlet Centurion somehow who was either a alias of Immortus or an alias of Doctor Doom posing as Immortus or something like that. <laughs> but we're also going to tie, I'm sure, in this series, we're going to tie an Iron Lad from the Young Avengers because he's also a young Kang. <laughs> And I always, that's the thing I was confused with. I was like, is this Iron Lad or we're going to find Iron Lad? That was the thing I was confused about because I knew that there was some, you know, 
iron descendant 2020 is but i also i love the bit about love in this and i loved how um brutal and abusive kang is to, like the one like i love the idea of him being this drunk that like is still bemoaning this lost relationship and he doesn't want his younger self to you know fall in love and mm-hmm. i also love the idea of old kang being left in time at some point when young kang steals his costume and i just want multiple kangs and multiple and one place that i can't wait for all of that it's just it's it's kind of aspects of what makes doctor who very great at times timey-wimey stuff yeah so. yeah timey-wimey i love that old kang kang senior takes kang jr to the to and i had to look this up an actual period of actual earth past um to the western half of the united states continent before the asteroid hits yeah the chicks uh <laughs> chicks of something yeah laramidia was like the western half of the U. What would become the U.S. because there was a sea from the top of the Arctic Antarctic Circle or hmm. Arctic Circle down to the Gulf of Mexico, dividing the continent. Huh. Um, and then the asteroid hit, and I love that because at first when the young king meets this, uh, this woman from this tribe of humans that's somehow existing at the time of dinosaurs, and I thought, wow, they're awful attractive, modern-looking humans for right. existing at the time of dinosaurs. Right. But they explained it with timey-wimey stuff because the reason we never heard about these people since is because the asteroid hit, wiped out this tribe and the dinosaurs. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's so silly. Comics, baby. Yep. yep. Yeah, well, Django, what did you, like, looking back on it, what did you think? It's not a typical Django book. Yeah, it was okay. Um, I almost feel like, like you said, my favorite part of Kang is when it seems like he's still having a conversation with the time period that he just left. Yeah. And he gets there and he's saying these non sequiturs that take you a while to figure out. And then right as he catches up with the new place that he is, he blips out again. Kind of um, like that Christopher Cantwell, Dr. Doom series, I think did an excellent yeah. Kang. Yeah, I, I really like that part. I like, there's like, I think it's the final episode of Firefly where this assassin shows up and he's just, all the conversations he has are just shifted a little bit. And he's, he's saying non sequiturs the whole time. And I really like somebody who's threatening and completely removed from whatever he's doing, like reality wise, so confused. Um, I don't need a time loop origin for Kang. And I'm worried that that's what this is. Like, I think I think it is. It is essentially yeah. a, a chrono Mobius strip. Yeah, fuck that. We don't need that story <laughs> for the 9,000th time in comic book. Like, I, I I don't want I don't want Kang to have anything to do with Kang's origin. I, I yeah, think that's kind of kind of silly and lazy. Um, but I'm not in charge. So what do I know? I'll say I, I love that as his origin. But I think more than anything, it I think it's going to be really handy for people who've watched Loki and want to mm-hmm. get on board with this character and know something, because I do think that it's not super comfortable for a lot of people to just be like, Oh, he doesn't really make sense. Okay. Right. You know, like I think people want right. things to make sense. So I think this is an attempt to make him make sense in a certain way. And I think this is good. Uh, I, I think it's a good comic. It's just not the origin. I'm just throwing a fit because I didn't want this character's origin to be this thing that they've decided it is. And yeah. I don't even know if it, if this follows Canon at all. Um, yeah. I don't either. I, I I have a Roman for that. It, it seems to, at least in the references. Um, I don't know if we've ever really had a definitive origin for Kane because he's the kind of character you probably can't do a definitive origin for. Right. Because he's, he's going to tell you a bunch of different origins he's had. Yeah. Purple suit, purple he's like the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I love this art. Um, the, scene, the full page scene where Kane Sr. slaps Kane Jr. Yeah. I just love the way the artist drew... Kang Sr., the way his costume, that green fabric, 
how it billows out when he yeah. moves because it's not a, like your typical spandex super suit it's some kind of weird armor like flowy moo or something <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, a, a it's an gown. unpartable kimono Un- uh, oh, no go. desire for that and the double page spread where it has kang destroying that village and young kang kind of oh. progressively becoming infuriated really really great yeah. stuff. Yeah. what's yeah, your the- what's your score for it my fair maiden that's you I- oh Oh, 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 obviously. Oh, oh blush. Um, it's not daddy. I didn't say daddy. What's your score? <laughs> I also love the little homage to like the tribal doing those paint streaks down King yeah. Senior's face. Yep. So it matches King Senior's yep. face. Um, my score was a 9.5. I'm going to go. I'm going to go nine on mine, but I'm glad that Roman dug it kind of in that same re- range as I did. I'm going to go yep. seven and a half, although I think the art could could be in a 10 for me. Yeah. I'm just a little salty about the the kind of milk toast time loop that they're setting up. Maybe they'll maybe they'll weasel out of it. I would love it if they did weasel yeah, out. Yeah. I'm excited for Rama Tut next issue. Yeah, me too. That's, That's some fantastic, fantastic four stuff. Yeah. Um, okay, well, on the topic of 10 art, uh, just a shout out to last week's Defenders number one by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez. James, did you read that one? I did. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Some of the most gorgeous and fun art I've seen in a comic book in the last year. Um, it didn't even matter that many of those characters were people I didn't know. And mm-hmm. Al Ewing can be hit and miss, but this is much more in the range of a hit book for me. And I love it's it's going to be five or six issues. So I love that it's already defined as kind of a mini and it's not a thing that's going to try and outstay its welcome i think it's going to be great art for several issues and be an amazing story but let's turn it over to roman who i think above all is the defender god i i love this issue give it a 12 a 12 <laughs> yeah this is one, two, one two such a gorgeous issue and all the you know marvel references and the magic and the tarot stuff i was asking justin about the tarot stuff after i finally read it it's just all so cool it did seem like a justin book for sure yeah yeah and it's so beautifully done i was in a surprise i mean they brought back characters like cloud who was you know was a very very minor defender character from i don't know the 80s that you know you never expected to see again and using them well yeah. Yeah. And just those like what Javier Javier Rodriguez does so well is like instead of telling a, a page with a bunch of panels, he makes a kind of living page with it kind of breathes into different divisions. So like it's not panels. It's much more like a J.H. Williams, the third um, almost like Trad Moore type of thing. But he's just been doing it um, that untold history of the marvel universe um is you know does the same thing just a phenomenal artist yeah there was that one page i forget where it is but there's uh the steam rising out of the teacup that the masked raider is mm-hmm. drinking and, it, and it's forming panels within the tea steam it's gorgeous it seems like uh like a steranko yeah kind yeah. of trip for a lot of it and it makes sense that um it kind of ties back to that Marvel 1000 issue from like a year and a half ago, but the masked Raider was there and this sort of celestial mask. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what this is. Al Ewing was telling that portion of it, but then there was Marvel 1001 and it just seems like they never really got to fully explore the story they wanted to tell there. So this seems like yeah. an extension of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course, Al Ewing adding big cosmic stuff that ties into previous Marvel cosmic stuff. The whole thing about there's turns out there was a previous version in the old universe, a previous version of Galactus that we've never heard of before. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, uh, something else that was out last week was the Fantastic Four life story. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, Mark yeah. Russell. And I didn't realize this until I heard it on that other podcast that you and I like so much, Jeff. But uh, the way Mark Russell's treating Galactus in that is as like a, a stand-in for global warming. Oh, which interesting. was really interesting. Like, like Reed saw Galactus. Right then he comes back to Earth and he's like, dudes, this big bad thing's coming and it's going to ruin the whole Earth. And the government ignores him. People laugh at him. They're like, oh, Galactus, Galactus. And it took it took two issues and a discussion on iFanboy for me to realize that huh. uh, the Earth is warming and we're all fucked like Galactus is on his way. We are all fucked, sure. Um, Before we get out of here, I feel like we wouldn't be doing a service to the world if we didn't talk very briefly about Superman Red and Blue number six, mm-hmm. which had two stories in it that were just chef's kiss. Um, Sorry, I no, sprained it. For me, it was the Sophie Campbell story with Streaky mm-hmm. the Cat, like a, t- a totally nonverbal story that just like Sophie Campbell, your time on TMNT, you did Wet Moon. You are an amazing comic book artist and storyteller. I love them very much. And uh, they did some other like kind of animal centric story at some point, but th- they're just incredible. Um, and their body language for both animals and humans and their understanding of cats is so good. <laughs> And I love what happened, like the coloring that they're doing in that one. It's only red when it's this cat freaking out. But uh, then the the Tom King story with the Paolo Rivera art of yeah. just kind of Superman's time going to this diner and the waitress there and how she's kind of watched him grow up. And both of those to me were like, God damn, Superman, you're so cool. Dude, the other two stories are the other three stories are great, too. Like yeah. the the Matt Wagner, the the shot of Superman stopping a train. I want that blown up 300 times. I the want one that where in the he's, window of the shop. The one where he's got the like Superman chest oh. emblem glowing. Yeah, that one, that one was so good. good. And Steve Pugh's art. I just yep. love it when that guy draws. And then the last one where Superman inspires the kid to come out yep. to his family. But like Clark or Superman comes out as Clark Kent. And then the kid comes out as gay to his parents. I The only part that I found a little rough there was that he was already wearing a flag shirt. Underneath under, it, underneath yeah. his shirt, like that. That seemed a little, a little bold if if he was scared to come out like that. But um, that one, that that story made me feel feelings. Yeah, that one was great. Um, the Steve Pugh one was more pretty art wise, and I thought the story was good. Yeah, and the Matt Wagner one was also good. Um, I was predicting Roman really liking that ish, that story in there because anytime we spend a lot of time in the Daily Planet, I always think about Roman because of the DP. Yeah. The Doom Patrol? Yeah. yeah. Um, Good save. No, it's because of Peter Parker and Clark Kent when I was a kid. I wanted to be, grow up to be a, be a, a journalist. But yeah, yeah. an old-fashioned one, like in a bullpen with with uh, an editor, editor barking orders out of his office. And... I can bark orders out <laughs> Yeah, you. we can arrange this, buddy. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that issue was great, and I would give it uh, a high score. Those an- anthological books can go a lot of different ways, but I thought that yeah. one was actually really great. I'd, yeah. I'd give that one a nine. Yeah, I'd, yeah. Go, I'd go nine as well. Yeah, I think I gave it a 8.5. Well, I don't know, boys. That seems like everything we needed to do here, right? Did we get any voicemails or anything? Yeah, we do. Thank you so much. Oh, I was ugh, When we don't get them out of the way at the beginning, I kind of forget about them entirely. But you're right. We have this amazing voicemail. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's somebody that I adore endlessly. Also, the producer of our show at this point. So thanks so much. Um, for, Pete Deucer's back? No, even better. Fox oh. is back. Oh, Fox. Fox is, oh, that's right. Fox is. Fox, producer you know, of show editing this thing for us and uh any pots wait a minute. that takes a lot of weight off my life so if it's late blame him not me <laughs> all right guys um wow i just read way of x number five and it pretty much just blew my mind 
the the whole conversation that Nightcrawler has, just kind of ranting a little bit about the current state of mutant affairs on Krakoa to um, Fabian Cortez and Lost is her name, talking about you are a mutant when we say respect the sacred land. Only a fool would think we refer to some dreary piece of dirt. Pah! We are the sacred land. When you diminish other mutants, when you harm them without consent in body or mind, you are breaking the law, and I will judge you. Oh, I got goosebumps. That was awesome. Getting it to be, like, actually resolving the conflict like that was just so satisfying before Onslaught fucks it all up. And I am worried for several pages that everything that just happened in Planet Size X-Men could be gone. I genuinely thought, shit, that was fast. That went out with a fucking bang. Um, But thankfully, we've got Fabian Cortez here to boost up Nightcrawler so he can fucking teleport the falling moon away. What the fuck? What in the fuck, guys? Dude, this series is easily the best of all of the X line right now. Like, Cy Spurrier is blowing my mind with how good this is. Actually dealing with so many ramifications of what's going on in the mutant dumb right now and taking a serious look at the emotional and mental ramifications and not just kind of political ramifications and stuff like that. It is absolutely impressive. Like, this was a great issue. Um, I also have to do a quick little shout out Defenders number one by Al Ewing and Javier Rodriguez last week was like a 20 out of 10 for me. (laughs) He referenced like a bunch of different Doctor Strange runs that I've read. And I texted Roman. I was like, is this when you feel like reading Hulk? Because it just, it was so satisfying. And I feel like it could hold up even without knowing the references. So yeah, anyways, thanks guys for listening to me rant a little bit. And thanks as always for the podcasts. That's what Roman feels like reading anything. Any comic. Like from Moby Dick to Plastic Man. I I totally agree with Andrew. I think um, outside of, you know, Trial of Magento, because love the work, Leah. But I I think of all the books coming out that are the kind of the ribs of this X-Men universe and the Dawn of X you know, plateau it created, I think Way of X is exploring the most interesting thing. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. You also love that, Andrew, that it's just sort of like it is, it's more than anything, an ethical examination of story elements that Hickman had put into that house and powers and like these laws that, you know, make sense, but also seem a little asinine. And I think that what this book has done and Seisberger has done is sort of explore those laws, you know, you know, killed no human and all the other ones, but um, it's it's finding ways to legitimize making those laws. And this idea that respecting Krakoa is not the land, but it's actually the people itself is a really smart way of, I don't respect land, but I respect people. So that's a way that it, I think that it really intelligently explores that. So I, I totally agree with you. That's kind of how they, uh, that's what they did at the end of the third Thor movie, right? I don't remember. I saw that in theaters. Like, like Ragnarok destroyed Asgard, but Asgard survived because the people were Asgard. So I get destroyed the land, but not the, and then Thanos. What do you think, Roman? That's in it. Yeah, I, I do like hearing you and Andrew talking about that and the land because when i first read that issue and they got to that particular point i was like well okay i get the metaphor but that never occurred to me until you guys just read it said it in that panel so maybe you should make make your 
laws a little clearer instead of so poetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I do think that like, yeah, they created a poetic thing that didn't necessarily resonate super deeply. And I like that they're kind of analyzing these laws and giving them some some more merit outside of the flowery yeah. poetic nature. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. Django, thanks so much for reminding me we had a voicemail. I got to do the, you know, like when we start off with like a early voicemail, it always kind of reminds me that there's some periodically to do, but it's saving mm. for the anchor. I want to do them early, like mid- midway through. So never hesitate to interrupt me to get those things in. Um, I forget until the very end. Me too, end. me too. But I don't <laughs> but remember sometimes. Do. So I've heard that some podcasts use like a script or notes or something, but I think the people yeah. need to know that um, sometimes we don't even have the comic books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is sometimes. Uh, flying by the seat of three man's pants. It's like that scene in uh, um, The Last Crusade where they're just trying to throw some rocks on an invisible path and walk over. Like, I have faith that there's a path here, but I can't see it. So I'm mm-hmm. just going to keep taking steps. You know, I had... Uh, it's been an Indiana Jones reference, everybody. It was good. It was good. Yeah, I was, I'm impressed. Thank you. I had dinner with Cobra uh, and him and his twin brother, Kyle, uh, opened our live show. Mm-hmm right at, at the shakedown and uh other than just generally wanting to do that again someday when pandemic less pandemic um cobra talked about how funny it was that every single thing that they tried to plan totally failed and they still had a really good time like their projector didn't work and one of their bits fell flat and i was like yeah you know it's uh it's good when you trust the people around you to either pick up your slack or make you look dumb enough that it's funny I was so traumatized by that night. I don't remember it at all. Yeah, I, I don't either. Same thing. <laughs> it was uh, it was a well, lot. We of... recorded it. If you need a if you need a refresh. Okay, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Hey. Well, let's get out of here, everybody. You can shoot us an email, and we would love it if you did, because the only way that we're going to get better at remembering where they go in these podcasts is by getting more of them and needing to make space for them. So emails mm-hmm. and voicemail. Email those to Jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Love to get them. Love them. Don't even screen them. They're just like, we love having them and it's jazz music. If anything, I love the improv nature of not knowing what's going to happen on the other side of those messages. So you could, anybody, everybody, you could also send us just an email, uh, that same email address, Jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Django, what else we got? Oh, well, we've got uh, comic books at our comic store. Uh, every Tuesday, we go pick up comics at UPS from Jana, and then we take them home and read them. That's the intro. You're doing the intro. Um, we did free comic book day last week. We've got some new things happening, but uh, coming on the could, pipeline. You could. Um, oh, we're doing uh, starting a week from Wednesday. Our store is going to be va- vaccination required. Yep. So entry. if you are stressed out about being around a bunch of people who are covid well, you can only come into our store if you've got a vaccination. So I think that should pretty much everybody that comes to our store seems vaccinated already. So I hope that that's just a thing that makes you all feel safer to be in the store. And you understand that it is a thing that makes the employees and people who work at the store feel safer. So thank you. And if you're not, you know, we'll we'll run it out to your car. Yep. We'll run it out to your car. Sure. We're doing curbside pickup and that is very good. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I'm just like so good that we're back on a schedule. This is the first time we've actually recorded this podcast on the day we usually record it in quite a while. So I think that we're pretty close to having this whole thing be back on track. Thanks for your patience. Um, Andrew, thanks for becoming our producer and editing these things. My headphone cord smells weird. Um, I, as always, am Jeff. Uh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm roaming like like I often am. I'm Django. I was Django, Jeff, something was on your mind, bud? Yeah, yeah. You seem like something's on your mind. I was wondering if you were going to take any 80s TV show 
and recast it with the Justice League characters? What would it be and who would be who? Ooh, I love it. Magnum P.I. I was exact. That's exactly what I was thinking. Magnum yeah, I've never P. even I seen with, that show. Yeah, Martian Manhunter is Higgins. Oh, Actually, Martian Manhunter could play all the roles. You're giving away gold. Shape. You're giving away gold, Django. <laughs> we'll see you all next time for 237. <laughs> love you all. Will, I hope you're all right. Do you need a hug? He probably hey guys, thinks we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> collective hug for Will Elmer. Will, we adore you. And Andrew. And everybody who keeps contributing to this podcast. You're all amazing. Thank you for helping keeping this thing going. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.